Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. It's great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson. You know, as we were rounding out that first segment today, uh, I firmly, passionately believe that we really do have to change how we look at the way we value life. We live in this culture of contempt. And until we respect and value every life from the yet to be born to the soon to depart and every single one of us in between, we're going to continue to have these kinds of challenges and problems. Uh, And I want to talk about a specific group today, uh, a group that is made up of extraordinary human beings uh, with immense gifts and abilities. And that is our friends with autism. Uh, these are not liabilities to be managed. Uh, these are people of infinite worth to be fostered, nurtured, and developed. And very pleased to have joining us on the line today, Jalen Prince, uh, who is the head of Madison House Foundation, uh, which is really becoming a, a prototype for communities across the country in how to create a, a real positive ongoing environment for those living with autism, especially those who are over the age of 21. Uh, Jalen, thanks for joining us. It is a delight to be with you today. Wonderful. So, so tell us about uh, Madison House Foundation uh, specifically, and then let's talk about uh, this April 21st, uh, this focus on uh, living with autism after you're 21. Wonderful. We started in on this uh, because of our son, who is 31. I'd been working in humanitarian issues around the world, and one day I stopped and realized that there was a humanitarian issue happening here in our own home and around the country, and that was the regard for adults with autism and the lack of services. And so we started in on this about 13 years ago, and we're just outside of Washington, D.C., though I'm a Utah native. And we decided to start working with Utah at the same time, and we've been working on projects there ever since. Oh, that's great, and that's uh, it really is becoming a, a prototype for some creative ways to do that. So let's talk about mm-hmm. some of the challenges uh, for our friends. Uh, again, over 21, there seems to be more resources uh, for when they're younger, uh, those living with autism. Uh, but then when you hit that 21-year uh, mark, then then things seem to be drying up a bit. You're right, because there have been uh, mandates for education up until the age of 21 or 18, depending on when uh, individuals select to graduate from high school. But after that, uh, the services for adults uh, are very, very spotty at best. And it's very difficult for families and individuals very often to manage life after high school. 
uh, and having the wonderful services and the investment that the nation places in people. And uh, very often, uh, there aren't the supports to be able to engage in uh, employment situations. There is a very high un- or underemployment rate uh, with this uh, population, and many people can be very valuable uh, employees. Uh, And there aren't a lot of opportunities for engagement in the community, and in fact, I have been astounded. I was in the office of uh, someone that uh, most every listener here would know of. I won't mention the name. And he said, Jalen, what are you doing these days? And I said, I'm working with the issues facing adults with autism. And he stopped and he said, I never even thought about adults having autism. I just assumed it was for it was children. And that is not an uncommon reaction. I've had that happen many times. And so we need to make the community aware for the benefit of the community and for the individuals with autism. Yeah, that's so important. And their families. Yeah, and as a, I was just going to ask, and the and the family component to that as mm-hmm. well. So describe to us some of those specific needs for those over 21 and some of the creative ways you're tackling some of those issues. Well, first of all, it is our awareness. And let me just uh, give a little bit of an example of how prevalent it is, it is in Utah. Uh, If you have a neighborhood or if you have a congregation, say, of 300, uh, with the 2% uh, of autism, 2% rate, you would have six individuals that are on the spectrum. You would have two parents and at least two siblings in Utah, maybe many more. And everyone is impacted by autism. So in that grouping, you would have most likely around 30 people who are impacted by autism. That means their employment uh, options may be different. Uh, Parents may uh, have one person staying at home to take care of their adult child uh, because they may not have known that there are services available or they have not pursued that or the services are not available in their areas or they're on waiting lists for uh, appropriate housing. One of the big questions we get is, what happens to my adult child when I'm no longer around? And we have stepped forward to try to answer that question. So important. If you're just joining us, we have Jalen Prince on the line with us uh, talking about Autism After 21 Day, uh, which is today, uh, April 21st, set aside by Congress (laughs) to really shine a a spotlight uh, on adults and our fellow travelers uh, who are uh, on the autism scale and across that spectrum, and their families. And I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up, Jillian, because so often we, we don't think about that component either in terms of how it impacts mm-hmm. moms and dads and siblings uh, as well. And, uh, again, you're doing a lot of creative work and, and uh, innovative work in terms of, of how you approach that. I know you've got some pilot programs with the state of Utah. Uh, give us a, a specific example there. We are working in the state of Utah and bringing, uh, we're trying to collaborate with uh, things that exist in Utah. First of all, we're identifying a problem, letting people understand, and people that have just been elected to city councils or county councils know that part of their constituency happens to be people that are on the spectrum. And what consideration is there in city planning or in boardrooms for this population? And then we are stepping into the situation to work with partnerships because there is a lot of good things happening in Utah. 
but very often they're one-offs, that there may be something in one town that people are doing a wonderful job with something, but they're so busy doing a good job that they can't promote what they're doing and share best practices in other places. We hope to help connect those things as we're doing surveys throughout the, the state and to shine a light on the good and positive things that are happening in Utah, and then also see where the gaps are. And because we've been working nationally, maybe we can bring in some of those answers, and we can bring in the top person in disability housing Mm -hmm. who happens to work with us, who is on our staff, to help families make plans and to see what the future could like or look like uh, in the housing arena. But... Having a house is not enough. We have to have responsive and uh, vibrant communities that are accepting and make the appropriate accommodations. And by working with the autism population, they may be helping many others in their communities as well. So it's a win-win situation all the way around. Oh, fantastic. Uh, Jalyn Prince, uh, who is the head of the Madison House Foundation. Uh, again, it is Autism After 21 Day uh, and these are our fellow travelers. These are brothers and sisters yes. uh, who have extraordinary gifts and talents. Uh, we need to make sure we're uh, providing the right resources, the right support to them uh, and to their families. Jillian, thanks so much for joining us on Inside Sources today. Thank you so very much for the invitation. Be well. You bet. All right. Again, that's uh, Jillian Prince uh, from the... Uh, uh, Madison House Foundation, and again, it's just an important work. We we really do talk about the need to value life, uh, all life, at every stage, uh, in every circumstance, and uh, we are all fellow travelers. And so on this day, again, a lot of us, uh, I think, fall into what Jalen talked about, that we don't, we don't really think about what happens to that person who may be on the autism spectrum after they turn 21. Uh, we have a lot of good programs, a lot of things for uh, for the younger kids as they work their way through the school system. Uh, but then what? Uh, and uh, surely we don't think enough about the parents and the families who are impacted and, and what that means. And do we have a real appreciation for the sacrifice that they make uh, in so many different ways? As uh, Jalen said, employment uh opportunities become limited, uh, travel, uh, all of those things become uh, bigger challenges. So great insight. Again, autism after 21 day today. Uh, stop and think on that one just a little bit. We're going to step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back, uh, one of our favorite, Dr. David Bob from the Bill of Rice Institute is going to join us. We're going to talk about civics and civil society. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.